be be on mission for you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you, Sam. If you do have a Bible, it would be very helpful to have it out to uh, Exodus chapter number 6, uh, based on what we're going to look at. But uh, the first thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to ask for your help on a couple of things here. I'm going to give you the first half of a phrase, and I'm going to see if you guys are smart enough to fill in the second half of the phrase. Now, I'm going to guess that you will be, because they're not going to be that difficult. I mean, Caden and Lucas will probably get the first one. That's how easy it'll be. All right, Caden? Uh, but we're going to be speaking this morning uh, the subject of who God is, I am Yahweh. So here's the, here's the first phrase. Ask not what your country can do for you. Very good. But what you can do for your country. Now, what I want you to notice is it's, it's just a phrase that is inverted in the second half. Country and you. How about this one from the three musketeers? All for one. One for all. Once again, you have the inversion of two words in the second half. How about this one? You can take the girl out of the country. Yeah, but you can't take the country out of the girl. Yeah, how many of you found that to be true? All right, okay, can't take. So each of these is, is in a writing structure style called a chiasm. And that's not all that important for everybody, but I just want you to understand. It's called a, it's called a chiasm, and it, it basically takes a phrase and it repeats it in either a comparative or a contrasting way. Though my favorite one that I saw, though, this week is this one. Don't sweat the petty things and don't pet the sweaty things. <laughs> Very good advice, all right? <laughs> yeah, for both of us. Now, you may or may not know this, but much of the Bible that you have in your hand was written in a chiastic structure. For example, Jesus spoke in chiasms where he would say, many who are first will be last and the last first. He said, whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Um, the Proverbs are filled with chiasms. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. A wise man, though, listens to advice or listens to others. Sometimes there are verses, sometimes chiasms appear in books. And if you were here in 2020, uh, we went through the book of Esther. And Esther is written as a chiasm. Esther opens and closes with a feast. There is a second-in-command Mordecai, a second-in-command Haman, a second-in-command Mordecai. There is a declaration to destroy the Jews. There is a declaration to save the Jews. There are gallows built, and then there are gallows where the man who built them is hung, hung upon. And that chiasm is structured with a center turning point. And that center turning point was Queen Esther going before the king, laying her life on the line on behalf of her people as a turning point in Esther. Well, that's actually where we are in the Exodus narrative. We are at the place where Moses is standing before a king with his life on the line, but he's there on behalf of his people. What probably many of us don't know is that if we were to step back and look at the whole story of Moses, Moses' entire life can be structured into a chiasm. Let me, let me show you what I mean by that. Moses is born while Israel is enslaved. He's saved by water in the Nile River. He stayed in the palace after being found by the Egyptian pharaoh's daughter. When he left the palace, he was rejected by his people. He was rejected by Israel. 
He got scared after killing someone, and he ran from Pharaoh. When he ran from Pharaoh, he met this woman. Her name was Zipporah, and he helped care for her animals, and he ended up marrying her and living in the nation of Midian for 40 years. But then Moses has this experience, and it's the turning point in Moses' life. Moses is going to experience the burning bush, and we've spent a lot of time on that. That's Exodus 3 and 4. And now notice, we're going to go, I'm going to show you the second half of this slide, but we're going to work our way backwards. We're going to start at the bottom and work up. After the burning bush, Moses leaves Midian. He's helped by Zipporah. We were there a couple weeks ago. He went to Pharaoh. He was received by his people. He stood in the palace again. And that's where we are right now, where Moses is in the palace. In the future, Moses will be saved by water, and he dies in Moses' death. Israel has become a redeemed nation. So you see, Moses' entire life is a chiasm. So are our lives in many ways. We take our first breath. We're dependent on others. We gain strength. We gain wisdom. And the middle of our lives is filled with family. It's, it's filled with relationships. And then we start backwards instead of gaining wisdom we're giving out wisdom instead of gaining strength we're losing strength just like we were once dependent on others we at the end of our lives if we live long enough we'll become dependent on others again until we finally take our last breath our lives are really truly chiasms and the turning points of our lives we sometimes don't even realize what they are but most of the time the turning points in our lives are relationships they're people people that god has ordained to step into our lives at specific times i am so sorry danielle i didn't dismiss the kids if there's any more children that need to slip out i'm sorry danielle forgive me okay cool thank you so if you were with us last sunday if you, I'm sorry, I, I want to explain why, we're doing, why I was even explaining a chiasm. The reason we're explaining chiasms to you is because what we're going to look at today in Exodus chapter 6 is a speech given by God that is a chiasm. And I wanted you to have this understanding of it before we get into it. It's going to be, we're going to start in, 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 in chapter 6, and once we get to verse 2, it's going to be verse 2 through verse 8 is this chiasm that the Lord is going to share with Moses. Now, if you were here with us last Sunday, you know what's going on in the story. Moses has stood in front of Pharaoh. He said, Moses, Yahweh said, let his people go for three days so that they can worship him in the wilderness. Pharaoh's response was, I don't know who Yahweh is. I'm not going to do anything for Yahweh. And Moses' reply was, if you don't, he's going to come after us with a sword. Our God is going to come after us with a sword. Pharaoh's response was, you don't need to be scared of Yahweh. You need to be scared of me. And he makes the burdens of the people far greater to the point where the people come back to Moses and say, Moses, you've put a sword in the hand of Pharaoh. And the people blame Moses. And chapter 5 ended with Moses blaming God. You. So what's God's reaction? Well, that's, that's what we're going to see in chapter 6. 
Now, verse 1 is going to be God's immediate reaction to what Moses just said, and then God's going to go on, and he's going to talk. And I want to show you the chiasm real fast before we read through it, just so you have it in your head as we go through. It's going to start off in verse number 2, God declaring his name. I am, you'll see in your English Bibles, the Lord in all capitals. The word Lord in all capitals is God's name. That's Yahweh. I am Yahweh. In verses 3 and 4, you're going to see where Yahweh is going to say, I promised this land, or I, to, I, your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I promised them this land. That's in verses 3 and 4. In verse 6, he's going to say, I'm going to take you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Then we see the turning point. The turning point is God declaring, I will be your God, you will be my people. At that turning point, we see once again that they're going to be brought out from under the burdens and taken to the land that was promised to their fathers. And God closes by start by the same way he started. I am Yahweh. It starts with his name. It ends with his name. And the middle is you will be my people. I will be your God. So that's what we're going to look through today. Let's begin in chapter six, verse number one. It says this, but Yahweh said to Moses. Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out. And with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. Now if you've been with us this whole time, there should be a word there that immediately you go, oh yeah, we've, we've echoed that word a few times. The word is hand. In chapter 3, God said to Moses, you're going to go to Pharaoh, and he's not going to listen to you, but with a mighty hand he will be forced to let your people go We also saw in chapter 4 Where God said to Moses what's in your hand And he said a staff and he said let it go And he dropped and it became a serpent Now we see these words hand again And, and the, most of the Bibles Not the NIV but most of the other translations Use the word a strong hand The NIV translates it My strong hand God is speaking Yahweh is saying with my strong hand I love it because there's this comparison That, that Yahweh is showing the Pharaoh, the Egyptian Pharaoh, is often pictured by the strength of his hands. Notice in these two pictures, and I don't know one you can't see real well, but in both pictures, he's holding a mace, which is like a large stick. He's holding a mace, and he's holding someone's hair. I am in power. You are going to serve me. This is how the Egyptian Pharaoh is pictured. And what God says is, he thinks he's got a strong hand. Just wait till he sees my strong hand. So really what we have is we have two gods. We have Yahweh, the God of the heavens and the earth, and we have Pharaoh, who many people believe was an embodied God, and he's going to take his strong hands, and he is going to raise them in defiance of Yahweh, who's going to say, well, just wait until you see my strong hand. And that's what he tells Moses. Just, just wait till that man with the strong hand sees what a strong hand is really like. What I find so interesting is, is this comparison between Pharaoh and, and even Moses. Remember when, when God looked at Moses and said, what's in your hand? And he said, a staff. And he, he forced him to, or he asked that just drop the staff. And when Moses dropped the staff, it became a serpent. And it reminds me that as we try to hold on to our own dreams and our own desires, and our own passions, as we hold them tightly in our hands, that prevents us from experiencing what the mighty hand of God can accomplish. 
I just got done reading a book for one of my classes at, at Liberty, trying to get my, my, my master's degree, and this, this book was called Masterpiece. And there was, there was a couple of really interesting things in that book, but, but the one that really caught my attention is the author said, we all want to be a masterpiece. But we do a really good job at taking, taking the brush out of the master artist's hand and trying to paint it ourselves. And I thought, man, that is so true. Don't we love to paint masks over ourselves, over who we really are? Don't we love to try to make other people, we try to do our best to appear to other people one way, even though we really aren't that way on the inside? Reminds me, of, with Mother's Day, it reminds me of how sometimes you ladies probably would have had uh, your children dig into your purses and grab your lipstick and at some point, you know, try to apply their own lipstick. You know why they're doing that? Because they want to look as pretty as their mama. But they sure don't look very pretty. They look pretty ugly. Because that lipstick is all, oh, because they are not the master artist. That that girl in front of her mom who knows how to apply makeup make that girl look. You know, we spend a lot of money, and I say we, I'm talking about you ladies. Um, we spend a lot of money, give a lot of money to professionals to make us look good on the outside. Don't we? A lot of money. To professionals to make us look good on the outside But when it comes to the spiritual side to the inside we look at the master and we say I got it I don't need your help But we pay professionals to make us look good because we can't see half of our body and we don't have the skills to know what to do They do so we pay them for it. We have the one who created us who sees our hearts who knows everything about us and we tell him I got it I can see myself I know who I am I don't need your help I don't need your assistance and when we what we do is we continue to take our lives in our own hands rather than simply leave our hands open-handed to say whatever you want because you are the master. I can encourage you open your hand see what the mighty hand God can do. So let's get into our chiasm now. Verse 2. I think this is so cool. I'm going to read all the way from verse 2 through verse 8, and I hope that you can kind of keep these thoughts in mind. God spoke to Moses and said to him, here's the beginning, I am Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. We would know that word as El Shaddai. I appeared to them as El Shaddai. But by my name, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Verse 5. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Now, can I pause here for just a moment? We went over this a couple weeks ago, so I'm not going to spend much time on it, but I want to make sure everybody knows God doesn't forget things and then remember them. He's omniscient. He doesn't forget. The word remembered means I'm putting into action words that I have already promised. You tell your kids on Monday, hey, after school on Friday, we're going to go get ice cream. 
It doesn't mean Monday through Thursday that you forgot about it, but when what happens on Friday is you remember, you put into action the words you have already promised. God is now putting into action the covenant that he made with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Verse number 6. It says, Say therefore to the people of Israel, meaning tell them, I am Yahweh, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. Can I just pause? An outstretched arm? Guess what goes with the arm? The hand. Right? So there's another reference to a hand. With an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Verse 7, here's the middle of the chiasm. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. That's the middle. Now everything starts to shift backwards. You shall know that I am Yahweh, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am Yahweh. You see the chiasm at work? So, so I want to look at this passage through the lens of that chiasm, and I want to ask the question, why? Why? So we'll start at the middle, right? Start at the very middle, the turning point. In verse number 7, Yahweh says, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. It's the turning point. Not just the turning point for Israel, but that statement right there is the turning point literally for the entire, entire narrative of the Bible is that the entire existence of humanity... It hinges on the fact that God wants a people for himself, and he wants a people of whom he can be their God. But why? Like, why does God want a people for himself? Does, why does he want to be someone's God? I, and I, I'm sure you're thinking, hey, well, he, he just wants control. He wants to tell people what they have to do. He wants to determine every action, every person. I am God, you're my people, you must do what I say. But see, after looking closely at the chiasm, we see that's not the truth. The chiasm itself helps us answer the question of, like, what takes place before and after he makes this declaration, I want you to be my people and I want to be your God. Well, look at it. What does it say? He says, I want to bring you out from under the burdens and I want to bring you into a land of promise. I want to bring you out from under the burdens, and I want to bring you into a land of promise. But then that just leads us to go, why? Why does he want to be their God? Why does he want them to be his people? Why does he want to save this group of people from slavery? And why does he want to take this people into a promised land? And the answer is in the chiasm. I am Yahweh. God's purpose for being their God is, I am Yahweh. His purpose for them being coming his people is, I am Yahweh. He wants to save them from their burdens. Why? I am Yahweh. He wants to lead them into the promised land. Why? I am Yahweh. And I know that can be a bit confusing. It actually reminds me, and I'm not in any way trying to give comparisons here, but it reminds me of a character in the Marvel movies. He uses three words to every answer. Every conversation he has, his name is Groot. 
And Groot is this big tree-like looking like person, and all Groot ever does is say, I am Groot. Hey, Groot, you want something to eat? I am Groot. Hey, we're going to go destroy this planet. I am Groot. I mean, every, that's his answer for everything. I am Groot. And again, I'm not trying to compare Yahweh to a movie character. I'm just saying there's a similarity to every answer are these same three words. God, why do you want me to be yours? I am Yahweh. So then what is God trying to communicate by declaring his name? What does he want his people, us today, but Israel then? What does he want them to know? Why keep going back to the name Yahweh? Well, if you remember what we learned about Yahweh before, uh, Yahweh is the I am. I am, I was, and I will be. That is what Yahweh means. So I have three thoughts that I want to share with you about why I believe I am Yahweh is so important to understand. First, I am Yahweh means I am with you. This is actually an echo. Do you remember when God first gave his name to Moses? He was at the burning bush, right? And Moses was scared of the calling that God had given him, and he said, I can't do what you're asking me to do. And he said, I will be with you. And Moses said, but who do I tell the people sent me? And this is where he said in Hebrew, Aye, Ashur, Aye, which means I am who I am. I will be who I will be. You go back and you tell the people the I am, Yahweh, has sent me. What's incredible about this, when, when God tells this to Moses, we find out now that that was the first time God ever revealed his name. He has spoken to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and man, he has had some miraculous interactions with those men. With Abraham, he called him to a land. With Abraham, he made a covenant walking through these animals together. With, with Abraham, the Bible says Abraham was God's friend. With Isaac. Isaac was actually created by God in the womb of his old barren mother. Isaac was laying out on a, on, a, on a stone tablet of some sort or an altar of some sort, and his father raised his hand, and Yahweh himself says, Don't harm the child. There's a goat or there's a ram in the thicket. Jacob was chosen in his mother's womb when the, when the angel said, The elder will serve the younger. Jacob had a vision of seeing a ladder go to heaven. Jacob wrestled his hands, wrestled with the angel of the Lord, who was Jesus himself. But none of those three men knew Yahweh's name. They've known, they only knew him as El Shaddai, all-powerful, God Almighty. I look and I go, what's different about Moses. I don't, I'm not telling you this is the only answer, and I'm not even telling you it's the best answer. I'm going to share with you what my studies drew out of my heart. It was this. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were all asked to follow God, but Moses is being asked to confront a God. Because again, Pharaoh was looked at as 
Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob each had moments in their life where they had to step out in faith, but that stand in faith was a family. Abraham had to leave his father. Isaac had to lay down and let his father put him on this altar. He betrayed his brother listening to his mother, and he lied to his father. There's all these family interactions. But Moses is different. Moses is not taking a stand against someone who loves him. Moses is taking a stand against someone who hates him, who has the authority to kill him. And so God said, Moses, I've called men to follow me before. I've called men to step out in faith before. But what I'm asking you to do which is staying in front of your enemy. And I want you to hear who I am. And here's what I want you to know. I am with you. I am Yahweh. Thank man. It's so amazing that God's confirmation to Moses was simply, I am Yahweh. I am with you. Do you know that Jesus gives us that same confidence? I will never leave you. I will not forsake you. I am going to my Father, and when I go to my Father, I am going to send my Spirit to live within you. Why? So that you will never, ever be alone. Man, don't we look everywhere else other than to the word of God and to the spirit of God that dwells within us? Don't we look everywhere else for confidence? But God, show me that you're with me. Send a lightning bolt. Hmm. I am with you. He promised that. It's his word. I know it's easy to give Moses grief about the fact that, well, he, always, he didn't always believe. Listen, there's people in this room you're afraid to say the name Jesus outside of this room. Let's give Moses a break. There are people that if I asked you to come up here and pray in front of a room full of people who all agree with you about who the ruler of the universe is, you would be so scared. Moses is going up against a man who all he has to say is, kill him. He's dead. And the assurance is, I am Yahweh. I just remind you, if we're in this book, we're going to find the assurance we need to do the things God calls us to do. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will be that shepherd who walks with you. But what I love about Moses and this, this understanding is that the more we learn about God, or we learn more about God, excuse me, the more we need God. He will never be a healer to you until you need healing. He'll never be that comfort to you until you are broken. He'll never be that friend until you are left alone. If you're always surrounded with people, if you never have any needs, why do you go to God for anything? No, it's as we, as we struggle and as the needs of our life grow, it's where we turn to God and we see him in new ways. But here's just what I just want to encourage you. As we learn more about God, it should take us 
further in our faith, which means this. If you've been coming to this church for 10 years and you're not doing any more with your faith, what's going on? It's where we step out. It's where we step up and we follow the one who says, I am with you. I am Yahweh also means this. I am Yahweh means the benefits of Yahweh's saving works are grounded in the person of Yahweh. I know you're, you might be looking at it saying, I don't understand that. But did you notice how the benefits of God's saving work, the I'm going to free you from slavery and I'm going to take you to the promised land, they weren't the beginning and they weren't the middle. They were nestled in between God declaring, this is who I am, and this is my purpose. In between God declaring who he was and God declaring his purpose, we find these incredible benefits. Saved from slavery, brought to a promised land. You know what that means? It means the good news to Israel were the words, I am Yahweh. I am here. <laughs> because I am here, guess what that means to you? It means you will be saved, and it means I have a land for you. Those are the benefits of anyone who knows who I am, who is a part of my kingdom. Because I am Yahweh, you will be set free. Because I am Yahweh, I have a land prepared for you. Because I am Yahweh, you will be my people. And because I am Yahweh... I your God. You see, the good news to Israel was not you're going to be free from slavery. The good news to Israel was not you're going to go to the promised land. The good news to Israel was I am Yahweh. I'm here. Now that I'm here, it's going to be okay. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to free you. I'm going to take you to a land, and this is why. I am Yahweh. You know what? In the same way, the good news to Christians today is more than just we're saved from the bondage of sin. No longer a slave to sin. That's wonderful news. The good news to Christians is more than just I have eternal life. The good news to Christians is more than just I have this relationship with the Father that I never had before. Now you see, the really good news delivered to Christians is that Jesus, who is the I am, has arrived. <laughs> He's here. And guess what comes with Jesus? Kingdom of God. What happens in the kingdom of God? Slaves are set free. We have a place. Ours in that place. You see, because Jesus came, death was defeated. What held us in slavery was defeated because Jesus came. Because Jesus came, sin was conquered. Because Jesus came and defeated death and defeated sin, and he ascended back up as the Son of Man who took a seat next to his Father in heaven, ruling the world. That's the good news. Because that happened, we can be free from our sin. 
We can be saved to the Father. We can have this relationship with God. We can have this hope of eternal life. We can be called the sons of God. But all those amazing results simply stem from the fact that Jesus is here. I know some people might ask, well, like, how is it good news if you're saved from, from like, having to serve this person? If I, how do, I, went, I went from being, having to serve sin to now I have to serve Jesus? Oh, but, but that's the blessing of the kingdom. Well, when you have to serve sin, sin takes from you, and it rules you by power and fear and oppression. But, but the kingdom of God is a king who gives of himself, a king who serves by washing the feet, a king who has displays his love to us by laying down his own life. And by laying down his own life, we receive the benefits of that king's kingdom. Oh, wow. So who wouldn't want to serve this king? It's not like I got saved from having to serve this person, and now I have to just serve this person. No, I got saved from having to serve this person who hated me, who didn't want me, but I was forced to go there. Now, look at this. I, I'm welcomed into his presence. I, I get to feel and experience his love for me, and all that does is say, I always want to love you in return. Yes, we are called in this kingdom of God. We are called to serve. We are called to love. We are called to care for others. We are called to lay down our lives, but not because our king demands it. No, no, not because he says you have to. No, it's because we are becoming more like the character of the king who did all that for us. I lay my life down, not because he tells me to. Oh, that's good enough. I lay my life down because he laid his life down for me, and I want to become more like him. That means the good news is that Jesus, who is the I am, he arrived, defeated death, ascended to his throne, and today he offers benefits for those who want to join. I am Yahweh. Because I am here, you're no longer slaves. Because I am here, you have a place prepared for me. Is that why? why? Why does he want a place for us? Because I am Yahweh. It means God desires a personal relationship. See, by revealing his name to Moses, God is showing them he's more than a force. He's more than a power. He exists as a person. A person with an identity who wants to know his people and he wants to be known by his people. God wants a personal relationship with his people and he shows that by declaring, this is who I am. I am I'm not in any way trying to say we shouldn't use the word God. I'm not in any way trying to say that. Please understand this. But the word God is a title. It's a position. It's not a name. It would be like you giving your mom, mom a Mother's Day card today, and you would sign it, Happy Mother's Day, comma, parent, period. Love, child, period. 
Those are positions. Those are titles. If my mom was here today, I would introduce, this is Marge Hasse, my mom. That's why God says, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh, your God. Yes, I'm your God, but I want to be more than your God. I want you to know me, and I want you to, I want to know you, and I want you to know me. This name provides an avenue to a personal relationship, which is exactly what Yahweh wants. Say, what kind of a relationship does he want with me? Let me ask you a question. What kind of a relationship is formed when someone says to someone else, I want you and I want you to want me? I want you and I want you to want me. Well, Trevor did that about eight or nine days ago to a young lady got down on his knee in front of a, a beautiful backdrop in Greenville, South Carolina, and said to his girlfriend, Caitlin, I don't want you just to be my girlfriend anymore. I want something more. I want you, and I want you to want me. Will you marry me? This is what God is He says, I want you, I want to be I want you to be my people. We'll see this far more clearly as we go through Exodus, but when we get to Mount Sinai, you're going to see the same thing. You're going to see this echo where God says, I want to be your God, and I want you to be my people, and we have some vows to take. We call them the Ten Commandments. A marriage. God know that our marriage is not going to be perfect? Yes. Does he know it's going to be messy? Yes. Then why would he want us? Now I realize not every one of you ladies in here have been able to have children, but for those of you that were able to plan a family and say, we want a child, why did you want the child? Didn't you know there would be dirty diapers? Especially for Kate and Lucas. Right? He still has dirty diapers. I'm just kidding, Kate. I don't know why today. I don't know, but yeah. <laughs> that you mean that you haven't dirtied your diaper? Wow, that's that's awesome, Caden. We'll get you a gold star, man. <laughs> why did you want a child? You know they're going to be messes. You know there's going to be problems. You know as those children get older, they're going to give you all kinds of attitudes, Trinity. I mean, uh, all kinds of... What's the point, though? Because you want someone to share the joys of life with. That's what Yahweh wants. With you, and the cool thing is, he can do it with everybody at the same time because he's omnipresent. He'll be with you because he said, I'll always be with you. He wants to be in a relationship with you in the good times and in the bad times. He wants to be in relationship with you in the victories and in the defeats because it's not what you have to offer him, 
It's who you are that he wants. Being Mother's Day, I was thinking through my, my mom and through the years of, of growing up. And there's one particular moment in my life that sticks out. I was in sixth grade. Our sixth grade had, a, had an intramural, our, our grade school had an intramural track meet. And um, I was uh, going into the last race in first place, but I knew that the guy that was in second place was going to win the mile. That, it was it. The mile was the last race. His name is Scott. Scott's a good dude. Still friends with him to this day. But I knew there was no way I was going to beat Scott unless something else happened. So before the, before the um, mile run got started, my best friend, whose name was Jose, Jose and I, we came up with this plan. I was going to try to stay in front as long as I could, and when Scott started to take the lead, Jose, who was a really good runner as well, was going to trip Scott for me. <laughs> Fall on top of him while I kept running. Perfect plan. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, I know. But I wanted to win, you know? So uh, so the race started, and, and it, it was an eight-lap race, and by a lap two, like, I, I knew I was not, there was no way. And um, so I, I, Jose was right next to me, and he's like, are you ready? And I was like, man, forget it. I said, just go, go win, all right? So so here's me. I, uh, I, get, I get done with lap five, and everybody has lapped me now. I get to lap six, and everyone's still lapped me. I get to lap seven, and a couple guys are already, well, no, no, I get to lap six, and one guy's already done. I get to lap seven, every single guy has finished the race because they lapped me. I have one lap left. Why run it? I've, I've a secured second place. Like, what, what, what are you going to run lap eight for? No one else is out there. And this is all going through my head as I'm making that final corner coming around and the cone is probably about where you're sitting. The cone is about where you are. And I have convinced myself that I'm just going to give up. I'm just going to stop. And I'm not kidding, man. I was a few yards from the stinking orange cone where I was going to stop at lap seven. And I hear in the stands, hey, Brian, that's my boy. Like, I was in last place. Why are you telling everybody? <laughs> I don't want the attention at this moment. Come on, Mom. But I heard that. And you know what that made me do? I ran lap eight. And when I got back, those guys, they, I, they, were, they were dressed and ready to go home. <laughs> I finally finished lap eight, and there was one person who was standing there there watching me and it was my mom and she was clapping for me as I finished lap eight. I've never forgotten that. But man, isn't that what God does for us? Tripped and fell. That's okay. That's my boy. Well, you're, you're in last place. You, oh, you didn't mean to do that again. And it, well, you told me yesterday you weren't going to do that. But you, that's my girl. I love that 
because you're a champion. Cheers you on.